Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Motherkind podcast with me your host Zoe Blasky where each week I chat about all things motherhood and well-being. My mission with this podcast is to help you reconnect to you, to feel happier, more joyful, calmer and that little bit kinder to yourself because I think life as a mum in this hectic modern world is hard enough as it is. I believe becoming the happiest, most alive version of ourselves is the most important and inspiring thing we can do for our children. Hi everyone, welcome to this week's episode. This week is with one of the UK's leading scientists, immunologist Dr Jenna Machoki, who is also a mum of twins. And this is an incredibly powerful episode about the tension between motherhood and work. So if you've ever been pulled or felt pulled in multiple directions, and I will be surprised if any of you haven't had that experience, then this episode is going to be so powerful for you. It's in two halves. The first half is very personal from Dr. Jenna. She shares so courageously and honestly about her experience of burnout, about how her desire to keep going and be successful at work led her to burnout and ultimately a total realignment of her priorities, which I personally found incredibly inspiring and thought-provoking. I think you're going to absolutely love what Dr. Jenna shares. The second half is from her professional wisdom on winter bugs and what we can all be doing to stay as well as possible this winter. So in this episode, you are going to learn what can happen if we don't look after our health, the tension between motherhood and work ambition, and how to work out within that what's really important to you and use boundaries to reconcile this tension that we can feel so often. You're also going to learn what to do to avoid getting ill this winter and what to do if you do get ill. And Dr. Jenna answers the question, which has just been so much in the media at the moment. Is it true that we are going to all be more susceptible to winter bugs because we've been in lockdown and isolation? So listen right to the end to find out the surprising answer to that question. I hope you love this episode as much as I did. Before we get on to this week's episode, I just want to ask you something. Are you feeling the Christmas pressure? I know that I am. And let me just be clear, I am no Scrooge. I love Christmas, but for us mothers, it can be an incredibly stressful time. I don't know about you, but I feel like my to-do list quadruples. I pile all this pressure on myself, throw in some family dynamics into the mix. And is it any wonder that we often get to the big day frazzled, running on pure adrenaline, painting on this smile and actually forgetting to really enjoy some of the magic that we've created so wonderfully for everyone else? Well, after the year we've all had, I want to help change that this year. I want to help you feel calmer, have less on your plate, show you how to use boundaries so you feel more empowered and in control, and basically have the best Christmas ever. I think we all deserve that. We started the year in lockdown homeschooling. Let's end it by actually allowing ourselves to enjoy this break. So, as a little Christmas present from me to you, I am offering you four totally free workshops throughout November. They will be online and cover everything from how to manage tricky family dynamics to how to halve your to-do list and how to say no and set boundaries without coming across as a total bar humbug. I have to say a massive thank you to our sponsor, Whirly, the revolutionary toy swap service. It's because of their very generous support that I'm able to offer these to you totally free. So I really hope that you can come to one or all four of the workshops. Head to motherkind.co to book your space. Welcome back, lovely Jenna. I'm so excited to be sat with you this morning. I know. Thanks for having me. It's so lovely to be back. Well, just a little thing has happened since we last spoke. (laughs) Yeah, that was, what, two and a half years ago, I think. I remember being in my old house. Actually, of all the podcasts I've ever done, I vividly remember the one I recorded with you. 
Why do you think that was? Because I don't know if you remember, but I was coughing. Do you remember I was coughing through the whole thing? And I'm like, yes, just had a cold. So before COVID, so before any of us were thinking of germs in that way. And we were discussing the immune system. And obviously I'm offering up sort of my background knowledge and in that space. But at the time I was actually recovering from pneumonia, which I got because I got a cold and my whole family got a cold. It was early spring. They're going around. It's quite normal to get a cold. My family got well again. I didn't get well. The cold lingered on. I ignored the cold. And one day I woke up and I couldn't get out of bed because I had a bone rattling cough and it completely came down with pneumonia because I ignored the cold. How many of us do that, you know? Even more embarrassing that I'm supposed to be an expert in the immune system. (laughs) Well, you say embarrassing, but I say really sort of humbling for me because I think so many people listen to people like you. You know, you have this deep knowledge and expertise and I assume that lots of people think, gosh, she must just, you know, never get ill and look after herself so well. And and yet I think to hear that like the rest of us being a mum of twins and a busy working mum of twins, you know, you too struggle sometimes to look after your health. And I find that really humbling and relatable. Yeah. And in the beginning, I was like, oh, my God, you know, I had to go to my workplace and tell them I was in bed for three weeks. You know, all my colleagues picking up the slack and everything. And like you say, it was humbling. I felt really embarrassed. I felt awful. I'm burdening all these people with extra work because I can't be there. But then as I recovered, it just became sort of part of my story and it felt really important to share it not hide it and yeah I was a working mum of twins I probably hadn't been back at work that long after having that maternity break and I have a very different approach to work now than I did when I first went back completely lost myself and my identity after having kids went back to work thinking no one's going to take me seriously I haven't been in the workplace for however long you know I've been at home with nursery rhymes and toys and you know just being a mum and I thought I have to prove myself I have to be everything to everyone I have to work really hard I didn't really talk about the fact I had kids because I thought they might think that you know I'm not serious or I don't know I, I just yeah really felt lost I was also really determined to write a book at that time my husband was doing this long commute and he was never home in the evenings and so I was just putting the kids to bed and writing in the evenings and um, trying to put my ideas together and figure out how do you write a book where's that starting point and then I would take lots of extra opportunities so I do a lot of work with the media or you know writing for magazines and and it was kind of I've got to build my profile I was doing all this for free I was working full-time during the day but I was also trying to be mum the nursery run you know cook the healthy food and my sleep began to deteriorate and I think I was on the computer late every night. Not only do we now know that the screens are eroding our sleep, but also it's stimulating, you know, the thought process. You're not winding down for bed, are you? You're getting into rabbit holes of information. And so I'd go to sleep, okay, and then I'd wake up at like two, three in the morning and my mind would just be just going, going, going. And I wouldn't go back to sleep. I just couldn't go back to sleep. And I would be hearing my kids crying, even though they were crying. I was kind of this hypervigilance developed just from being that new mum back at work. And before I knew it, I mean, I had full blown insomnia and then it's the vicious cycle. So you wake up, you're really tired, you drink more coffee, you know, to keep going. You make poor choices through the day because you're tired and you have no buffer. I had no boundaries of just taking on work left, right and centre because I no one ever taught me about boundaries before and I guess before having kids there was always a buffer because you don't have that extra responsibility and then when I got a cold how many of us go to work when we've got a cold before COVID probably everyone would still go into the office get on with their day or it's only a cold and because I never let my body recuperate I never just took one day off work you know made myself some nourishing soup and lay on the sofa it just got really deep into my lungs until 
you know, I couldn't take care of myself, let alone take care of my kids, let alone my responsibilities at work. And it sort of all fell apart three weeks in bed, you know, probably six weeks to be fully recovered. And then instead of just taking one day or two days to get over a cold, I had this huge extended period where I'm just then suddenly relying on colleagues and family and friends and my husband to pick up all these extra things that I had taken off. It was such a strong lesson. You know, I'm constantly talking about health information and people asking me for advice. And I'm always thinking of the best way to communicate to people, both the information and how to apply it to their personal situation. But I've never once thought I need to also look after myself. So things have changed quite dramatically by then. But that's why I really remember recording with you because I was just at the tail end of that and I was still trying to hide it I was still in that embarrassed point where I was like this hasn't happened to me like could just pretend everything's normal so it really sticks in my mind I think lots of people will relate sounds like you burnt out yeah completely and I think maybe 10-15 years before that I had a similar experience but I didn't have children at that time, so I didn't have that additional responsibility. Maybe it's partly my personality, like I can easily get into that sort of, you know, you go down that tunnel where you're just hurtling towards burnout. And I feel like it will always be a learning experience. I'm always having to pull myself back and get those fundamentals of self-care right, make sure my priorities are right do I have enough energy and time and headspace to be the mum I want to be? If that's yes, then the other stuff is coming after that. And if it's no, then the other stuff needs to change. It just really made me see that, you know, I love to work and be a working mum, but I can't take every opportunity. I can't, you know, do everything that I want to do at the rate I want to do it because I've chosen to be a mother and, just reminding myself how rewarding that is, how much I live to be a mother. And that's what I wanted for many years before getting pregnant. And it's been nice. It's still a process, though. There are still times I have to check in and, you know, reassess. But it's getting easier. I think the more you do something, the easier it gets and time passes. But I will never forget that experience. And then COVID happened. My hope is that people let go of that sort of presenteeism that we all have in our culture and our work culture where you still show up to work because it's only a mild infection it's only a cold I can take something from the pharmacy that will pep me up for the day and I really hope that now we're like no you're not well take the time you need to recover instead of just pushing on pushing on let your immune system have that space to do the job that it can do so many of us are conscious of our immune health and how to have a strong immune system and looking for the sort of key supplements, the things to be eating, what's the protocol and really it's what's your personal situation, what's the context that you're living in right now because the supplements will do very little if the foundations are not there across all the other dimensions of your life. I think this is so relevant for so many people, just that kind of, you know, so much. So do you remember Boots did actually an advert? Do you remember that advert? Boots did an ad on this where there was the mum and she had a cold and she just kept going, kept pushing. I mean, whether that was ethical, because essentially they were trying to sell uh, cold. (laughs) cold Anyway, anyway, I think this is such a common experience for, I want to say parents, but it's actually mothers to push through you know, you talked about some of the things you learned. You mentioned boundaries, you mentioned priorities, you mentioned coming back to what's really important to you. What else did you learn or have you learned from that really big, as you say, lesson? And what's different for you today? I learned a lot about my relationship with my husband. I was the sort of main stay-at-home parent in the beginning. I'd sort of finished my role I was on a contract just a month before I had the twins so I didn't have a job to go back to so I had a maternity period that was sort of open-ended whereas he had this sort of whatever his paternity leave his workplace gave him and then he was back to work so I was the main at-home parent in the beginning so I was absorbing all the night feeds and the laundry the cooking the cleaning all those kind of things I was being the one that was mostly at home 
And then when I went back to work, I continued to be that person that was doing all those things, but I didn't really question it. And neither did he. And I guess it's not a fault of either of us, but it's just, I think that probably happens in a lot of households on a subconscious level. And my kids were two and I went back to work. So we had two years of me just being at home and being the sort of main parent, the main one doing the household things. That was a very difficult shift because I think he wasn't expecting that either, that I was going to be like, wait a minute, I can't do all these things and work this job you have to step up. I also had to let go of, like I had my ways and means, I had my efficient systems, I knew how I wanted the laundry done, I knew how I wanted the shopping done, the cleaning, you know, you sort of become very effective in that role, you hone your skills, you've got a slick machine running at home, your routines, kids are in routines, all that. And I had to hand the reins to him and not then go to him, you're not doing it like I would do it which is really hard because you have to let them do that learning curve. You know, you've spent so many months or years doing it. They're not going to just in a week do it exactly the same as you have or reach that point where they find the most effective way for them. And that's quite frustrating and quite annoying. And he found that quite annoying. And I had to learn to let go, which I now realise is something that I struggle with as well. These things have always been there part woven into your personality imprinted from my own childhood but it's not until you have some big thing that happens in your life that you have to really address them and say like this is not serving me well it's something that I can work on and I got to start the work it's not going to change overnight and I think we're still there because then COVID happened and we were both working at home and the kids were off school and then again I had to have that reassessment of why am I the one that's working at home with the kids both at my feet in between meetings and stuff I'm doing the homeschool you know they're coloring and playing it like attached to me and then he's coming in and saying well I'm free between one and two so you know I can sit with the kids and do something then but I was the default parent so he came with like the windows when he didn't have meetings And his workplace is very different. It's male dominated. There was not so much tolerance for having your kids just running around behind you in meetings because nobody else was doing that. So there was not that culture, whereas my work was very understanding. Everybody had their kids running around behind them. And I was like, but you can make the change in the culture at your work because all of your colleagues who have children are in the same boat. Their kids are all at home. And they're all trying to, you know, lock themselves in some spare room or corner of their house where the kids can't get in. You have to step up, be bold. And you also have to divide everything with me because I'm not being the default one that's homeschooling and you walk in and give me a window of your time. So we had to go through that whole process again of just kind of reestablishing our roles. And he's grown up in that kind of 1970s 1980s parenting with the mum that stayed at home and the dad who went out to work and you know getting him to appreciate that that's imprinted on him but things are different now that was a process for him as well and sort of encouraging him to face that because I don't think he would have naturally just kind of reached that conclusion so I'm so much better at pushing back on work so I don't feel like I have to take on everything to prove that I can do it I will say I can't my plate is full but also if I get a really amazing opportunity like I was offered to do a TED talk this was last year and they got cancelled because of COVID and they said we'll get back in touch once things settle down with COVID and we know when we can do in-person events again and I was like fantastic let me know so they reached out again and they said we've got a date to do the TED talk it will be in Manchester so I live in Brighton so you know a really long train journey or drive to get there this is the date it's the only date we can do da 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 and it happened to be the date of my children's birthday And so I said, look, it's my kid's birthday. I'm not going to either travel to Manchester on my own or bring them with me on their birthday. It's not fair. And they came back and said, that's the only date we've got. Sorry, can't do anything else. And I said, thank you for the opportunity, but I'm going to say no. And it felt really good. And I think maybe a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, I have to take every opportunity because, you know, it's, I don't know, building towards some blind thing in my mind that just felt like I needed that to feel credible to feel like I was 
pursuing something and actually being like, I don't know if I do. I need to be mum and wake up at home on their birthday and, you know, sit with them on the floor with their gifts and have some cake. And it just didn't feel important anymore. It was lovely to be asked. And that's enough. I feel like, okay, I've made some progress there. (laughs) That's a really inspiring shift. It's interesting that you say, you know, you've used a few words that kind of drive to feel, I think you said enough and credible. And I think so many of us, now I constantly have to check that with Mm -hmm. myself. You know, I think when you're trying to build something like you and I have done from, you know, well, I built mine from scratch. I appreciate you didn't, but from a kind of personal brand perspective, you said that you had, you know, it can be so easy to you know, particularly with social media, where it looks like everyone's just constantly doing all the things. I think it takes real courage to do what you did. Yeah. Actually have your priorities. Yeah. I think it takes so much courage because it's so easy to make things look amazing on the outside. I know. You know, had you done that, but actually what might have been happening on the inside could have been a really different story. And I think it takes so much courage to put how we feel over how things might look. Yes, exactly. Social media, you know, there's a lot of neuroscience coming out now about when you put out a post or information and you get a lot of likes and a lot of engagement, it gives you a bit of a dopamine motivation. It's creating neurocircuitry that's encouraging you to do more. And it's like, oh, that's great. I created something and people are enjoying it and they're getting something from it and they want to share it. And I want to do the same tomorrow and put out another post tomorrow. Actually, my plate is full. So that has to wait. And sort of just knowing that you're almost like your brain's chemistry has been hijacked by social media and being able to be like, no, I can't. A lot of times if I'm looking on social media and I'm seeing some awesome content, I think, how are these people managing to put out this level of great content all the time? And then I'm like, okay, I have a job. I have two kids. I want to be a good mother, a good friend, a good wife, a good daughter and check in with all those things that are so important to me and then if I have time to put out a post I'll put out a post but I have to let go it's like that take a deep breath breathe it all out it's not going to happen today you know it might not happen till next week and that's okay because it's still something I enjoy and I like doing but it can't be at the expense of the other things that are so more important to me. When you talked about boundaries you mentioned it a few times and you said yeah. no one taught me how to have boundaries and this is one of the reasons I'm so passionate about boundaries teaching boundaries yes. coaching on boundaries yeah because just like you said I think you know before we become parents there's so much more wiggle room in our lives yes to have that boundaryless high standards perfectionism mm. you know I remember I used to work often till 2 a.m and be like it's fine yeah. on the weekend I'll sleep all weekend yeah yeah and I think there's nothing like parenthood motherhood to force those questions and as you say I know so many clients who've had exactly the experience that you had trying yeah. to do it all and yeah. ending up in burnout and then realizing ah <laughs> I need to learn about this thing called exactly. boundaries. it's so sad that we get to that stage and we're all vulnerable to it yeah I guess we all kind of grow up in a certain framework in a certain society and my parents were very like go out in the world and have the opportunities we never had and I was the first in my family to go to university and so it was kind of like oh I have to do this this is such a good opportunity and I have to succeed but there was never anything telling me that other things are important too. Like now I I love Brighton and I live in Brighton, but no one ever sort of said to me, at one stage your parents are going to be much older and you might want to be able to be near them and maybe factor that into how you evolve your career, you know? And it was more like, go take every opportunity. I, I moved to London, I moved to Switzerland, we settled in Brighton. And now I have conversations with students that I teach at the university. And when we talk about careers, I say to them, you know, have you thought about 
where you want to live, how you see that being in a few decades time. I had a lovely student from the Caribbean and she said, oh, I'd love to do a PhD. I'd love to do this, do that. But I want to be near my family. So I can only consider opportunities that are available by medical science realm in the Caribbean. So we looked there, what sort of things she could do there. And she was willing to let go of that other dream to then live somewhere near her family. And I think that's really important. For some people, it might not be a consideration, but it's something to think about. And I very much let work define me. I couldn't contemplate not having a job or, I don't know, it was woven into me from being much younger. And I look at mothers who choose to stay at home and I'm really inspired by them. And I think that's a huge challenge to be the stay-at-home parent And I think it's wonderful. And I'm curious. I want to ask them questions about that and those decisions and think, could I reach a point where I would make that switch? It's something I think about a lot as I'm trying to reduce my hours at work and be there more for my children at home. Why are we so defined by work? But the boundaries thing, I've learned so much from your podcast on boundaries. (laughs) Probably the first place I even heard of it. And I feel like, oh, I need to teach my kids this. Like they need to put this in the curriculum because I see a lot of young students, as I say, I teach at the university who are the same and the anxiety levels are high. The stress levels are high and the need to get the best grades and to get the best jobs and the opportunities. It's it's almost like the walls are closing in on them because they're so worried about all of this and it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. But how do you convey that? It really has to start upstream, doesn't it? I totally agree with you. And that's why I talk about it nonstop. And I think, you know, something that I try to do with my girls is, you know, I think as you were describing those students, that was me. You know, I really thought because of what I was taught and societal messages and messages through the education system, I thought that my path to happiness truly was to get A's and get a good job and be successful on paper. Like looking back, it's almost a laughable roadmap for life. But that yeah. was my roadmap for life. That's just what I was taught and sold. And I was celebrated when I got A's. Yeah. And, you know, I was told, well done. And I was given awards. And I was like, okay, this is it. And it feels good. It's that validation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, so I'm always saying to my girls, you know, I'm starting to talk a bit more about alternatives to traditional education and thinking about that for my family, because I think it's so important you know, that a happy life and a fulfilled life and a a joyful life is so much more than how much you earn or how successful you seem outwardly. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, when we get that message, that was the message that I got to. And it drove me to burnout. I was just younger. My burnout was a bit more spectacular and a bit younger. (laughs) (laughs) So I got the lessons. I got the lessons later on. It stays with you though, doesn't it? It's a little nick on the benchmark of your life that it's woven into me now I embrace it and I think that was a lesson to be learned not to be forgotten and it's to embrace it that was me but acknowledging that is sort of the first step to opening up a whole new world before your eyes of what's important. Mm, Well that's the thing with boundaries isn't it it really forces you to get clear on what's important, just like you did with your TED talk, you know, and it's uncomfortable. Yeah. When I first started setting boundaries, you know, the people in my life and work and, you know, all of my stuff came up. It was all shown to me, my need to please and my guilt at setting boundaries and my low self-worth, all was there. Yeah. And then you've come up against it with family members and colleague and partner and friends. And suddenly they're like, but wait a minute, you were the one without the boundaries. And now you're pushing back. Like, can we just like, wait a minute. And it brings up stuff with them. And it's been, yeah, really good for my relationship, but it took that really low point before we could both start to journey out of that because obviously we both had to address stuff and figure it out. But it's all much better. You know, it's like if I had never reached that point, I'd probably still be on the treadmill, you know, like paddling desperately underwater, trying to keep my head, you know, from going under. So one really bad thing actually made a lot of good things. So you can sort of appreciate when you look back (laughs) the value of hindsight. (laughs) And also, you know, it takes 
courage, doesn't it? Because I think, you know, we talk about experiences creating wisdom, but I think experiences only create the sort of wisdom and the life changes that you're talking about when we take the time to reflect on them. Oh, yes. And I think the weeks I had lying in bed with pneumonia, I had a lot of time to think. And before that, I was so busy that I was not letting there be any time to think apart from whatever tasks I had to do at whatever time. You know, my husband was at work and the kids were at nursery and you're just lying in the silent house, feeling like your body is just, you know, dying inside. Then you really kind of have that moment to pause and a lot of time to think. I think it's really inspiring. Thank you for sharing it so honestly and humbling. I just know that so many people listening are going to be nodding along and are just going to have that experience or be identifying with the treadmill and thinking I'm probably heading this way. If someone's listening, really relating to that, what you just said, you know, not having time to stop, to think, no stillness, not many boundaries, perpetually just pushing themselves what would you say? What do you wish you'd said to yourself before you got that three um, in bed? I don't really have any regrets because I do think all the things we do are a part of us. But I do look back and I think, you know, I had twins and I put a lot of effort into trying to get them on the same routine so they would nap at the same time. And I never, ever once took a nap when they napped. And my biggest regret is not sleeping when they slept because I was cleaning the house and preparing the next meal and like figuring stuff out or applying for jobs or doing a zillion quadrillion things instead of just going my babies are sleeping they're probably gonna have an hour or two why don't I just lie on the sofa put on some nice music make a really lovely cup of tea and even if I don't sleep but enjoy the stillness because I think the stillness would have really been nourishing for me just staring at the wall letting your minds just wander. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stresses, big and small. When we keep them bottled up, it can start to affect us negatively. And therapy is a space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever is weighing you down. Therapy is just an incredible, safe non-judgmental space. I absolutely love it. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule, which I think as busy mums is what we all need. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and you can switch therapists anytime for no additional charge. So get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash motherkind today and get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash motherkind. Just thinking about your breath, breathing out, letting go. But instead I was on the treadmill. I was like, what do I have to do? And like preparing the food for the next meal or organizing laundry or, you know, I just never once let myself pause and have that moment of stillness. And I think for anyone who's got young children who still nap, please take that moment of stillness. (laughs) Even if it's just five, 10 minutes when they first fall asleep. And yeah, ask for help. Just make sure that you are coming first. It's the thing we all know, but you can't take care of someone else when you're not taking care of yourself. And ultimately, if you have children, you have these little people that you have to take care of. So you have to be there in the right headspace and the right physical health to take care of them. And it's all that combined. And that's more than a tidy house or the washing or creating the perfect meal for them or any of those things. It's almost cliche now to say it, but it can't be said enough, I think. So I really hope that people can take that on. Don't get to the dark place. (laughs) I think it's one of those things that Yes, it is almost cliche, but it's almost until you've had an experience like you had or I had where you really get it. It's actually a transformational shift. And, you know, for me, I was the sort of person I always liked having, you know, tidy house and all all that sort of thing. Now, you know, my house is often chaotic. Yeah. You know, sometimes there is no food in the fridge for a meal and the outsides look really messy, but that's because these days I prioritize how I feel and I will generally feel good because I have rested and I have chosen to meditate instead of go to the supermarket yes. or whatever so 
I think it's such a big shift. My house is pretty chaotic and I have help because I do sort of choose to prioritise my energy, how grounded I am, how connected I am to myself because of all the stuff that I've learned on the podcast. But it's a different way of living, I think. I think I talked the talk, but I never walked the walk before. And I think we are all guilty of that sometimes because we do hear these messages and we're like, yeah, and we'll say it to our best friends or we'll be at a baby group and we're chatting to the other mums and we'll be sort of offering these little nudges of self-care for them. But then we go to our own life and we're not applying it to ourselves. That's the shift. It's applying it inwardly and it's a process it's not going to be like tomorrow you wake up and you're like right today's going to go really differently because I'm going to be looking after myself it's going to be good days and bad days it's going to be kind of peaks and troughs but you know making those small incremental changes they're going to add up and you're going to be able to buffer everything a little bit better you know when big things do come along and that knock you sideways Totally agree with you. It's kind of like stacking, isn't it? Stacking little things on top of the other. So we've got winter coming up and everyone I know has got colds. (laughs) 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 Luckily, we've dodged it in our house so far, but I know it's something that lots of people think about with kids like winter bugs. And, you know, I think children being off can bring up a lot of the kind of I want to say trauma I think that probably is the right word of of homeschooling and having people here so I'm wondering what can we do as the winter months are approaching to avoid those days of school us getting ill is there anything we can do what can we be doing yeah I think that's a really good place to start that conversation around the immune system you know, I'm very kind of relaxed about germs, perhaps because of my profession, but we live in a world full of germs. We've evolved over millions of years with germs. They're constantly trying to get inside us and shape-shifting, mutating to find a way to live inside us and use us to proliferate and infect other people and our immune systems have evolved over millions of years to try and block them and find ways to stop them from getting in there so you've got this back and forward that's been happening so I'm kind of like getting ill is is part of life because we live in a germy world so the first thing I think is to relax and it's totally normal to have a few minor infections over a year and kids will get more because of many things. So their immune systems are still developing in some ways. So they're slightly more vulnerable to some types of infections. I think personal hygiene is a work in progress for kids. We've all sort of heard the messaging with COVID that coughs and sneezes cause diseases, wash your hands, you know, that kind of thing. And and as adults, we're all good at that. Children that can depend on how old they are. So there is going to be more contact. There is going to be more opportunities for germs to transmit within schools, within daycares, anywhere where there's lots of people, basically. And I think COVID's been a big reminder of that. So, you know, it might sound scary, but it is normal, they say, for kids to get up to 10 to 12 infections per year, just by virtue of of all of those factors. And for adults, they say maybe four to six minor infections. We can then think about how well does our body cope with those infections? How easily can we bounce back? If picking up germs is part of life, then we want to make sure that if we do, we're as resilient as we can. We can bounce back as quickly as we can so we can all get on with our life. And there's been a lot made of this so-called immunity debt. You might have seen that phrase used in the newspapers. You know, we've all been locked up for however many months. Our immune systems haven't been exposed to germs. We've got no immunity. We're all going to be terribly sick this winter. It's not entirely true. There's a lot being made of it in the media, but it's a hypothesis that we've all been locked up and we don't have any immunity. So we're all going to be very sick this winter. There's no actual scientific evidence to support this. And I'd say that it's overly simplistic to assume that the temporary measures that were brought in due to COVID will have a dramatic ability on how we fight infections. And that's sort of for several reasons. 
because firstly, not having the contact between people during the lockdowns has meant that the seasonal germs that we get, the colds and flus in winter, have a different pattern now because their normal pattern has been knocked out with the lockdowns. So we're seeing a real surge in autumn of colds and flus, which would probably normally be more of a kind of gentle sort of you know, if you're thinking of a graph, you've got this high peak rather than a sort of gentle introduction into the winter season. So there's lots more colds circulating in a very short space of time. So lots of people are coming down with that September, October time. For very young kids, the risk is something called respiratory succinctal virus. It mostly affects kids in winter and it can, in very young kids under 18 months, they can be hospitalised with breathing difficulties because their immature immune systems really struggle with that virus. But often mothers who are exposed just by being in the community pass on their immunity to their babies like before they're born and through breastfeeding. And that sort of offers that protection in the first 18 months. And after sort of 18 months to two years, it's less serious and the kids get less ill. So there has been reports in the media about, you know, these spikes in respiratory succinctal virus in very young kids. And that's, again, it's due to the changing pattern in these viruses because of the lockdowns. So we would normally see it more coming up in winter, but we've seen this early spike in autumn. And the other thing to think about is what did you do during lockdown? So if you, for example, were very stressed, you might have had changes in your personal circumstance, you might have been very sedentary because you were very stressed or you're working a lot on a computer, you might have eaten badly because, you know, the trickle down effect of sort of poor mental health and being sedentary your immune system might not be in such good shape now. But for other people, lockdown might have been very kind to you. It might have given you more time to think. You might have spent a lot of time in nature. You might have taken up new hobbies that helped you alleviate some stress. You might have had more time to cook really nourishing food. So it's very individual. I can't make a blanket statement. And the other thing is resist colds and flus by being exposed to them. Generally, if there's over 200 different types of cold virus. So if you get a cold, chances are you will make a memory response to that cold, but you'll never see that particular virus again because you'll see the other 200s between now and you know the end of your days. So having a cold doesn't necessarily make you immune to more colds over the next months or years. And we have this idea that germs build your immune system. In a sense, yes. So certain germs, chickenpox, you get chickenpox once, you're immune for life. You get the flu once, you're not immune for life. It's like every germ's kind of got its unique immune response. So the things that do build your immune system are exposure to the good germs in your environment. So these are the, the microbes like the gut microbiome. We have a skin microbiome. We have an oral microbiome. Basically, every surface in our body will have its own collection of good microbes. And these are the ones that are training and educating our immune system. And we inherit them from our mother during the birth process. We then inherit them from our environment. So from our home, if you have a pet, that is licking the child. They're delivering a nice, healthy bunch of microbes. The food that we eat, natural environments, lovely evidence now that taking a child's play area and making it more biodiverse with lots of plant matter, letting the kids dig in the dirt, be in nature is helping diversify the microbes that live in that child, the good microbes. So we have to kind of get in our mind that 99.9% of everything we look at, breathe and touch is covered with microbes. And these are not germs that are going to make us ill. These are good microbes. And we want to embrace these because they colonize our body, they train our immune system, they educate our immune system. A lot of this happens from birth till age five, but it's continual throughout our life. So, you know, if you were in lockdown, down and you were in nature much more because you had more time, you were cooking lots of nourishing food. This is all going to be much more beneficial for your immune system than being exposed to whatever colds and flus are circulating in those months. 
I could just listen to you all day. I find it absolutely <laughs> fascinating. Um, and something that I've really learned from you is that our immune systems are just totally unique to each of us. And I didn't use yes. to understand that. And that's just fascinating. And I think it's also so helpful for you to say it's totally normal to get a cold. I think so many people think about how do I avoid getting a cold? So when we get those colds, what can we do to, I think you use the phrase, bounce back rate or recoverability. How how can we improve how quickly we're feeling well again? Is there anything we can do or is it? Number one tip, and it's not lots of supplements, but there are supplements we can take. Rest is the best medicine. You know, your immune response to infection is, is really costly energetically to your body. Your metabolic rate goes up, your use of calories goes up. It's pulling in all that energy from your body to build antibodies, to make those T cells, to fight off the infection. It's taking that energy away from other areas in your life. So don't go to work, get on the bus, go past the pharmacy, take all the meds that are going to suppress your immune system but make you feel awake and and stop you from coughing and sneezing take the rest because you're triaging your energy into allowing your immune system to do what it does and I think this is something culturally that we don't have in the UK you know it's just a cold like me it's just a cold I'll just keep going to work every day it's just a cold well no actually take a day or two to be fully recovered. And there's evidence now that that resting is going to shorten the duration of the cold more than taking something from the pharmacy that makes you feel well enough to get to the office and do a day's work, which actually might end up with you being sick for longer. So rest really is the best medicine. And that goes for kids too. I actually put out a post recently on Instagram about paracetamol with kids which again sometimes I guess because I'm researching this and I know this information really well I forget how surprising it can be when mothers read this and I really didn't mean it to be a shock but it was about we have a sort of culture where oh my god my kid's woken up with a temperature they've got a cold but I've got to get to work because the thought of taking the day off and reconfiguring all my responsibilities and who's going to look after my child and da da da. Give them a shot of paracetamol, send them into nursery, they'll be fine. And they're at nursery and they're feeling fine while they have paracetamol. They're running around, they're playing, they're getting on. Well, actually, staying at home and resting is exactly the same for us adults, as I've described, taking that time to recover is really important for your child. And the UK, NICE, who regulates drugs in the UK, recommend that paracetamol should only be used when a child is very distressed, not just par for the course, or they're a bit under the weather, you know. And I think that information is not very well known. And I just think it's good for parents to have that information that they can take a pause and say, is my child distressed enough? Do I give them paracetamol? Or do they just need some cuddles and to be on the sofa to hear you say to them, oh, I know you're feeling really unwell. You're really poorly. It's okay. I'm here. And it's something that I do with my kids. They sometimes want that validation that this is really weird. What's happening to my body? I remember the first time my child had an earache and she was just like flipping around in the middle of the night going, what is happening to me? Because it's really scary when you've never had an earache before. As adults, we're like, oh, it's an earache. I know what's going on. I can deal with it. But she was old enough to have the language to start to express this what on earth is going on but for younger kids they don't have the language to express it and so sometimes having you say to them like this is what's happening it's just a little germ and your immune system is is working hard to fight it and that's why you feel so poorly and I'm going to be here we're going to cuddle I'm now a lot better at saying I'm not coming to work my kid's sick end of conversation and that took a lot because before I would have been like, oh, I've got to send them to nursery because I've got to be at work. It's more stressful to consider not going to work. But actually, no, they just need you. They need rest. And then there's sort of the other things that we can do on top of that. So for the winter bugs, the colds and flus, there is some evidence that 
things like zinc and vitamin C can be helpful while we're sick. These are not things I think we need to supplement with all the time unless you have a deficiency, but our needs for these go up when we are fighting an infection and it can help shorten the recovery time. I also think there's a little bit of placebo effect. If we're taking something, we feel like we've got some agency over our health. We feel like we're investing money in something that's helping us. So that can also make us feel better and the placebo effect's very real. So it's why not? Things like zinc lozenges, which are going to coat your throat. They have a very antiviral property, ginger, turmeric, manuka honey, you know, making yourself a really comforting drink or a nourishing soup where the steam can help alleviate congestion. And it also feels like we're looking after ourselves as well. Yeah, just keeping hydrated and some sort of acceptance of what our body is doing instead of fighting it. Do you know what I mean? This is something I find quite powerful, just to be like, this is a situation that's happened. I wish I wasn't sick. I wish I could get on and do these things I want to do today, but I'm going to accept it. And the point you accept it, you start to be open to what's happening. And I, I yeah, I feel like that's quite powerful, really. It's like kind of surrender, isn't it? Like, yes. you know, I'm ill. And I think everything that you're talking about is just such a metaphor, actually, for our lives in yeah. general. Is this kind of just pushing, keep going at all yeah. costs. Exactly. You know, and you, I think your message is landing even more strongly because you've described, you know, what happened when you didn't take your yeah. advice. <laughs> and I think it lands even more strongly having, yeah. you know, you shared that. And I think, yeah, just having the courage. And I think it does take courage yeah. to say to work, I'm not coming in because I'm ill or my child's ill. And there might be repercussions for that. You know, the workplace is far from understanding some workplaces, particularly for mothers. You know, it takes courage for someone like me who's self-employed. Yes. Yeah. I'm not going to earn any money today because I know no one's giving me sick pay. And I think it's, you know, back to what we were talking about, which is kind of a theme of our conversation is priorities and what's important and, you know, what is important to me. And it's such an easy thing to say, isn't it, to prioritise our health, but actually doing it day to day is hard in a society where that isn't valued or that's not rewarded. Yeah. I feel really quite passionate about changing this whole presenteeism in the workplace because it does take a lot of courage to write to your boss or if you're self-employed, like realize that you're not going to make any money and that has other implications. And not everyone's situation is equal in terms of socioeconomics. So I think we need to change the culture across the workplace and make better things in place and make things more understanding for people. Because if I want to teach my kids boundaries, I also want to teach them to honour their body and honour what their immune system is doing. And the, the reason they have these symptoms is because it's working hard, fighting germs. They have to rest and let that happen, you know, not be running around in nursery or in school with their friends, being propped up by whatever over-the-counter things that we can give them to keep them going because that's not honoring their body in in that way that's not giving them that message so yeah it's really important that the next generations don't fall into those traps that we have it's such a powerful message and I'm wondering what is there in our kind of history as a species about getting these kind of colds and bugs and the need for rest is there a link there because they do sort of force us to stop Um, what they would have done pre kind of over the counter exactly yeah and winter is when they tend to prefer to circulate so respiratory viruses that we get in the UK, for example, they are more prevalent in winter because they like the climate and the humidity of those months. And this also happens in countries where they have wet and dry seasons, they will have different seasonal infections. I think we can think about the types of foods that are available in winter. We have lots of orange, um, fruits and vegetables, squashes, pumpkins. These are rich in beta-carotene, which is a form of vitamin A, which is known as the anti-infective vitamin. So in certain countries in the world where there's a high prevalence of vitamin A deficiency, they have huge problems with infections that we have eradicated in the UK thanks to vaccination. But So we can 
tune in to that seasonal produce and nourishing soups, the broth. We can bung lots of lovely vegetables in there. So we can tie it into what's available to us during those seasons. The dark nights, you know, it's getting darker earlier. Perhaps before we could run to the pharmacy, we would be getting into bed much earlier. We would have much quieter evenings perhaps because the weather is changing and we're not wanting to be out enjoying the beautiful sunsets and those social engagements become really important because people are more huddled in together they're not sort of out meeting in the parks or outdoor spaces so when you do meet with people it's really nourishing for the soul because it's like oh yes we've all been sort of huddled up and the weather's been awful and that it's a very cozy kind of get together and we look forward to that and that's really important because ultimately caring for your immune system is about all the dimensions of your life everything's connected to everything else so it's not just about the foods we're eating supplements we're taking but it's about you know moving your body and dealing with stresses supporting your mental well-being because there's you know a huge intersection between the brain and the immune system and sort of taking care of all those different aspects together and you know all my years of research trying to figure out what's the key formula that is going to be you know keeping us well, making us most resilient. And I think it's the consistency across everything, the general pattern of your life. It's not about perfection. It's not about having the perfect diet if it's unsustainable. It's about how did you eat across the week? Did you get in enough nourishing foods? Did you really try and bring in some diversity of fruits and vegetables, different fibers to feed your gut? Are you getting enough protein? Are you hydrated enough? It's not about, did you just inhale a packet of biscuits last night? Because that's irrelevant. If across the entire week, your overall pattern is pretty good. You know, if you're persistent, you will create the habits and behaviors to support your health. And if you're consistent, you will keep yourself in the best possible health. Consistency for me is just the most important thing. The little things that you do, just moving your body, taking care of your mental well-being, your physical well-being, eating well most of the time, that is liberating and it doesn't require perfection. And actually that scientifically gets the best results. It's so good to hear that. This is why I just love chatting to you because you're just so (laughs) balanced and clearly you've got these decades of research behind you. And I think with social media, it's so easy, isn't it? God, there's just so much about this topic and do this and it's this diet and it's this study and it's this. And to hear you just say, you know, think about it in a macro level. Think about what you can do on the basics, you know, moving, drinking, eating. Yeah. It's so refreshing and it's so accessible. And I think it's really empowering. It really gives us the power back, doesn't it? You know, we don't have to be following these crazy things that are out there, you know, letter to letter. And oh, I just love talking to you. I love talking to you. You just deliver, you know, such a depth of knowledge with such compassion and kindness. So thank you. Thank you. I always ask the same question at the end, which is if you could give just one gift to all the mothers in the world, what would that one gift be and why? Something I only kind of stumbled upon, maybe it was about a year ago, actually. It sounds so simple now, but self-compassion. Again, something I was never taught as a child, but wish that I was and trying to impart on my own children. Because I was researching around the immune system as I do uh, and sort of looking into that kind of psycho-neuroimmunology. So it's the brain-immune system connection. And I found some wonderful studies on people that had been taught self-compassion. They'd measured different aspects of their immune function and they'd found like measurable changes in their blood and their ability to bounce back from infection and resist chronic disease and lower inflammation. You know, all these tangible medical readouts could be improved when people are taught about self-compassion. And I was like, God, that's just like cold water on the face. I was like, wow, now I am awake to the world. Like this is something that everyone 
needs to hear. And, you know, we do so many things out of fear, fear of getting sick will put us in the food prison where we're trying to have a healthy diet, fear of whatever. We're doing things out of fear, but when we start doing things out of self-compassion, it helps us cut through the noise of the world. You know, the Instagram post telling us you can only eat these five foods to be well, or you must buy this really expensive green powder to be well. It's actually like, no, I can be self-compassionate and take a step back and think about the pattern of my week and how I can nourish myself, but how I can also maybe enjoy a bottle of wine and an indulgent meal with my partner and liberate myself from the sort of like rigidness of being perfect. It's self-compassion. It's something I'm very new to learning about, but I would really encourage people to explore that and do some of their research because there's various elements that make up how we can begin to be more self-compassionate. And I think it's really worthwhile exploring. Mm, Well, we've had Kristen Neff, who kind of founded Mindful Self-Compassion. Yes, I learned a lot from her, yeah. She's incredible. I did a little bit of training with her as well, actually, and she's amazing. So everyone can go and check out that episode. And I think that's just another reason to do it, to link link with our immune system. But it's been such a joy as ever. Thank you, Dr. John, for coming back on and just reconnecting with me and the audience. And we're big fans of you and Mother Kind, so thank you. Thank you for having me. It's been so lovely. So that was the episode pretty incredible thought-provoking stuff. I hope you will agree. Thank you so much for listening. It really does mean the world to me. If you did enjoy it and you're listening thinking, I just wish that more mothers could hear this. That is what I think to myself every week. I wish every mother could hear this content. Then please do share it. Open your phone, send the link to a friend or on your mum group WhatsApp or even on your school WhatsApp if you're feeling particularly courageous, please do share it and help me reach more and more mums with this just incredible content and wisdom of the guests that we have on the podcast. Just a reminder, my group coaching starts on the 15th of November, the next round, and Boundaries is a massive part of what we work on together. So if this episode resonated, please do check out that next group coaching program at motherkind.co. Hope you have a wonderful day.